It's Tuesday, January 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada and Pro Canada. Just flat out from Canada, it's Jim Gillies and Ian Butler. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for making the trip. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You were supposed to be here when? Sunday. Sunday. You're supposed to fly on Sunday. And you might have heard we had a little bit of snow. Uh, I can look outside and see you had a little bit of snow. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for. Looks like home. Yeah. I was going to say, for you guys, not a problem. Around here, uh, the city shut it, down. It's quaint the way the whole place shuts down. <laughs> it is quaint. Uh, we've got some Dow stocks that are pushing the Dow up higher. We're going to get to the earnings from Coach. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Uh, let's start with 3M. Big day for 3M. Fourth quarter profits coming in about 10% higher than expected. Revenue was up. Uh, Jim, this has not been a great year for shares of 3M, but in terms of just movement in a single day, this is the biggest day this stock has had in about five years. Yeah, I think going back to 2011. Yeah. Um, 3M is one of my all time favorite companies. Love 3M. Uh, but it has been somewhat, it got a little overvalued. We had a position in Motley Fool Options where I also uh, hang my hat occasionally. Uh, and we closed that in 2013 because the valuation got ahead of itself. The stock is lower today than where it was. So we, we, we got that was probably some decent timing. Um, but it's a fantastic culture company. And, you know, I, I love the fact they have all these different core technologies. Okay. They have like, you know, I think 10 or 11 like core technology things that they base everything off of and they make tens of thousands of products. So one of the technologies, for example, is adhesives. And it, I love me some post-it notes. Well, the, the adhesives are, you know, immediately you're going to say, oh, all the post-it note varieties and what have you. But there's also an adhesive that they use to stick together, you know, aircraft wing parts, you know. And I don't think that's coming out a little like, you know, little rubber glue. A little stronger, you're saying. A little stronger. Um, what would be interesting if that glue got onto uh, the post-it notes, that might be kind of funny. Um, but it, it, they, they just have all of these different core technologies. They encourage everyone there to spend, you know, like 20% of their time chasing dreams, chasing, you know, a new innovative product, do whatever you want. They, they, um, they get a, a certain percentage, I believe it's about 25, 30% of their sales comes from products that are less than five years into their lifespan. It's just a, a culture of continuous innovation over time. It's never looked terribly cheap outside of maybe, you know, the credit crisis when everything looked cheap. But it is a high-quality company that has, uh, as a long-term shareholder, you have, you're, you're super excited. They're raising their dividend all the time. They're buying back stock. I love the company. I've recommended it, like I said, in, in a couple times in the past. Um, you know, and it looks it looks like it finally might be finally moving out yeah, uh, Ian, of, a, of a trading range. Ian, this is one of those companies. I mean, they got a ninety thousand employees. It's so much because I think for the average person, to the extent that they know 3M. It's because of things like post-it notes or just sort of basic consumer. They've seen the 3M logo, that kind of thing. But when you think about how many different divisions, how big this is, how how many products and services they have for consumers, but also for businesses as well, it's 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 pretty amazing that they have grown. Again, keeping in mind that the stock over the past year not not a great run. But the growth path for this company has been pretty fantastic. I, I did a quick breeze through on all these uh, on all these results, and, and one of the th- one of the things I found interesting was that their healthcare division actually was the strongest uh, division amongst in the company during the quarter. And frankly, I, I, again, I've not spent a lot of time on 3M. I, I certainly know. I didn't know they had. Healthcare. I didn't know they had healthcare either. <laughs> and um, so I, I thought that was fantastic. And. 
I think too, just again, speaking of their diversity and there's been so much bad said about China and that, that was another point that I saw that actually their China and Hong Kong business was actually very strong as well in the quarter. So who knows? It, it's, it's not going to let, you know, like if you own it for the long term, it's not going to, you know, put the house on fire. Like you're not going to get a multi-bagger, but you're probably going to, it's, I think it's about double where it was just after the credit crisis. Plus an ever rising dividend, plus they're buying back stock, so you're getting a larger percentage of the business. It's a good core portfolio holding. You can buy it and forget about it. Uh, do they have? I, I'm assuming the answer to this is yes, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> do, do, does 3M management have a good track record of consistently raising the dividend over yes. time? Okay. Yeah. That's one of those things that you like to see when. You're looking at this type of company because yes. certainly we've seen in other industries, energy uh, <laughs> companies coming out and either suspending their dividend or cutting it or you know cutting it to degrees that are higher than people expected. So it's it's nice to see that kind of consistency. From well, energy. I mean, I, that's a, that's a, an argument uh, much broader in scope, but the basic just uh, I would say is you know you want companies that can afford their dividends rather than companies that can't afford their dividends. 3M has been able to consistently afford their dividend and raise their dividend over time. Again, it's a great company to buy, hold, and forget about. And then you wake up ten years after you bought it and realize you're getting, you know, double the dividends you were getting back in the day. So it, it's, I know, I'm turning into the 3M love fest here. I'll shut up. <laughs> Let's move on to Johnson and Johnson, also pushing the Dow up today. Fourth quarter profits coming in higher than expected. This is another one, Jim. Another sort of huge. Uh, it's kind of like 3M in that, oh, mm-hmm. pretty much anyone listening right now, chances are in their home, they've got a Johnson & Johnson product, particularly if you've got kids. You know. <laughs> we've got, we're loaded with, we're loaded with kids and Johnson & Johnson products. Yeah. Um, I, 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 again, I did a quick breeze through on this, and, and I think a lot of the same conclusions came out of it. it it's one that's not going to blow the doors off, but you're going to hold, if you hold it for 10 years, um, unless you are lucky enough to get it at a point where, when its multiple looks uh, very attractive, which I'm not sure we're there right now with any of these. Um, but yeah, that dividend's going to be a huge, uh, huge contributor on the return, and I, I think it's pretty safe to say that these companies know how to grow themselves at a, at a reasonable pace for for the size of them. Um, yeah. The thing with Johnson and Johnson, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, is that for years this was a company. That because of all of the divisions it has, what you frequently heard in their quarterly earnings report was some version of, well, these divisions did well, but this one division over here was a train wreck. And it's almost like the train wreck rotated amongst the divisions. One quarter it's medical devices, another quarter it's sort of consumer staples. Over the last five years, though, Johnson and Johnson really has gotten their stuff together in terms of now it would be. I don't want to say a shock because that would be an overstatement, but it would be kind of surprising if they came out one quarter and said, "Oh yeah, this one division really let us down." I think they're they're the medical device division actually did. I think a couple of weeks ago maybe they announced some pretty significant job cuts, so they might be having some issues there. And and again, that was another thing that I sort of pulled out of all these was that they they really are clamping down on costs. Cost cuts are are a real focus for management, and and it might just speak to the tough time they're having growing the. Top line. I'm not saying that the strength of the U.S. dollar does not affect these two companies, but it does not seem, at least if you just look at the the coverage from the media this morning, it doesn't seem like either the companies themselves or the analysts covering them are really harping on 
boy, the, uh, the U.S. dollar really hurt this company. Well, we're also getting into a period where the strong U.S. dollar we're starting to lap like last year or, or the or the year ago quarter. We're starting to lap quarters where there was a high U.S. dollar then too. So the impact on the dollar, well, it was pretty profound. Say a year ago or three quarters ago, if it's still strong today, that it's less of an impact. And so everyone's kind of like, oh, I guess it's here to stay for a while. And of course, it won't be. At some point in time, the U.S. dollar will fall relative to the other major currencies. Be nice if it would fall against the Canadian dollar <laughs> once in a while if I want a vacation in the states. But um, that's a whole other argument. Uh, but you know, it's I think yeah, there people are really focusing on on the actual business and how the business is working. And yeah, currency, eh, you know, that's just what it is. 3M shares having a good day. Johnson and Johnson shares having a good day. Shares of Coach having a great day. for the first time in a long time <laughs> having a great day up ten percent because second quarter profits came in higher than expected and sales rising for the first time in two and a half years. Wow. Is that is this legit or is this just the old blues line? I've been down so long, oh, being down. Don't, don't bother pull, me. Don't bother me. Um, that's a great song. Actually. Um, I'm going to give a cautious yes. Uh, that will, this is legitimately that this good. This is legit. Uh, we have a position on Coach uh, in Motley Fool Options, and today's move is not disappointing to that position. <laughs> wow! Um, so effusive. Yeah, uh, it it is a you know this has been a long time coming, and the last few quarters haven't been frankly haven't been as bad as some of the market reactions have been but you know there's been a lot of pessimism uh, with the the speed of their transformation and you know how much their sales can fall and how much their margins can fall haven't liked the fact that you know at the time when their cash and I I, I don't have my spreadsheet in front of me but I believe their cash generation fell by like something forty like percent from its peak to where it is now, might even be lower. I mean, you know, so they've gone, they've gone, and they went into cash bleed mode. They're still making lots of cash, but they weren't making as much as they'd been making before. And and so when their cash falls off 50 percent, you know, naturally they start building themselves this giant, you know, headquarters building in New York, uh, which you know, frankly, was unnecessary. And now, actually, in today, apparently, in the conference call, they were talking about selling it. So it's like, okay, good. Actually, that's a great thing. I like that. Uh, fashion's difficult anyway. So previously, you had you know Kate Spade and Michael Kors were you know the the hot fashion uh, purveyors, and Coach was kind of yesterday's news. That seems to be tilting a little bit back in Coach's favor. Yeah, and and expectations were really low. And so yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. I I, I want to see another couple of quarters of similar. Kind I was of, just going to say, are, are, aren't we? Based on everything you've just said, aren't we now just three months away yeah. from finding out if this is potentially a sustainable turnaround yeah, give me two versus or three. a blip? Yeah, give me two or three quarters, of, and, and then we can call it a trend. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Question from John Lombard in Queens, New York. Hey guys, love the podcast. Just wondering, Canada's banking system is considered one of the safest in the world, given that many of their bank stocks are at or near 52 week lows. Does now seem like a good time to buy shares? 
See, I, this email came in last week. I saved it just because I knew just you for guys the were coming. That's fantastic. Let's talk Canadian banks, and we we and been, we can't give specific advice, but but yeah. t- if if we're looking at a group of bank stocks that are at or near fifty-two week lows, the question immediately falls to: Is this a value play or a value trap? From the from the early days of the Canadian service, um, the, the banks of the banks are always on the radar in the Canadian market. There's three angles to the Canadian market: it's banks, energy, and material stocks. Uh, the banks are Energy material stocks aren't the greatest businesses in the world. Uh, the banks are. The banks are fantastic businesses in Canada. Um, there, there's some headwinds that they face, but um, and, and that was sort of a fear. Uh, again, the, the Canadian service has been open for a couple of years, but I think the market has taken care of those fears. Uh, they, I think the group was down about nine percent last year, and the valuations. A couple of them are trading at price to book values that are very close, if not at credit crisis levels, which is. Kind of ridiculous. You're talking 2008, 2009, 2008, 2009 multiples, and we don't have a credit crisis, and we do not have a credit financial crisis right now. So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's a they're as attractive as they've been in in three years and potentially a little bit longer. Yeah, Ian and I have had this conversation probably three or four times now. We've been sitting back because we both, both for uh, Ian and Stock Advisor Canada, and then for me over in Pro Canada. We have both wanted exposure to the Canadian banks, and we've been watching, and I think getting ever more. Excited about the valuation level. I mean, uh, it. So wait a minute. We if, we if, really like these. Uh, I'm getting that <laughs> sense. But if there isn't a credit crisis, then why are all of these incredibly well-run banks trading at or near 52 weeks? Se- several reasons. Uh, the first one, uh, Ian already was uh, more charitable than I would have been about the energy businesses. Um, you know, they these are Canadian banks who loaned money to energy companies, and so the price of oil. Kind of comes uh, to to the forefront, uh, you know, and so you got to start looking at the banks and how much, what percentage of their loan books are tied to energy, uh, particularly uh, of that percentage tied to energy. How many of those companies are, you know, if you lend money to Enbridge, for example, the you know giant energy company, uh, you're you're probably fine. Their their credit risk is not a big deal. Uh, if you lend money to uh, Jim and Ian's discount uh, drilling company. We're not paying you back. A little probably. shaky, yeah, a little shaky, and so so that that loan's probably going to go in a charge off if it's already not there. And so you know what's what's the energy impact going to be? Uh, the other thing is uh, you guys have started down the path of raising interest rates. Canada, although they held interest rates firm last time, uh, we we our last two moves were actually negative. We actually dropped rates again. So you start compressing net interest margin even more. I don't know how much more you can go. Right. And then the third thing is there are, uh, uh, Ian can uh, flesh this out if I don't do it at service, but uh, there are pockets of what we would call um, excited behavior in the Canadian housing market. Uh, Those pockets could probably be labeled Toronto and Vancouver. And in those markets, um, real estate loans in those markets are the fear is that you know those people people will just you know default on their loans, and it's it's a different situation in the U.S. you know, like what you guys had. We don't have the robust mortgage-backed security markets that you guys had. Uh, we don't have. You guys have uh, in a number of states. Uh, you can w- walk away from your mortgages. It's a lot harder to do in Canada. Um, but there, there's some concern over real estate loans, and I think for some. And then there's just some isolated, um, uh, isolated fears as well. Like for example, uh, Bank of Nova Scotia has a lot of uh, their international exposure is in some of the Latin American countries, so Colombia, uh, Chile. Peru and Mexico, I believe. Yeah, and they're 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 in Barbados too. I was I was in Barbados. Hey, what's Scotiabank doing here? <laughs> um, 
and but so there's there's some fear that some of those countries, uh, you know, uh, are might go into recession, might have some problems, and, and that might translate over to the international side. Uh, but you know, again, as Ian says, you know, some of these some of these banks are trading at credit crisis level multiples, absent a credit crisis. We we don't have any more insight than anybody else in, into those issues. Those issues are very very well known. I, I listened to a, a all the CEOs spoke at a conference recently, and I listened in and. Um, Every one of those issues was addressed by it's it's well on their radar, um, and uh, and I really think that the businesses are diverse enough and uh, to not have a material material impact. I think the other the other fear that I've had is is sort of housing related, and it's just the whole uh, baby boom generation is sort of moving from its prime sort of borrowing borrowing uh, years um, in, into more consolidation uh, type mode, and and the baby boomers have sort of driven economies since since uh, since, since they, they were boomed since they were boomed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, but the RBC CEO said a gr- made a great point that um, they're moving from their lending years into more sort of their asset management years, and and the Canadian banks are right there waiting for them uh, with open arms on on that end as well. So they've they've really got a lock on the Canadian financial industry, and uh, I think Jim said it well. We're we're pretty excited about them. Before we wrap up to our listeners down under, Happy Australia Day! Oh yeah, January twenty sixth, Australia. It's just like Canada. It is with kangaroos. I don't think it's and less snow. For, I was gonna say, first of all, it's a heck of a lot warmer <laughs> right now in Australia than it is where you are. All right, Ian Butler, Jim Gillies, thanks for being here, guys. Thank Good. you, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool. May have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forty. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill, thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.